I'm Dave Gray, and this week I learned that uh, a 40-year-old man can slip out of a restraint and a, a straitjacket if left alone in my basement long enough. I'm Kevin Matthews, and this week I learned that Gantt's perfect answer actually provides you with a lot of questions, none of which are perfect. I'm Tyler Hosley, and today I bought a uh, DVD box set at Goodwill, and I didn't check the disc. It's a, it was a seven-disc set, and uh, I opened up the disc when I got home, and there was only one disc. I had the seven in there, so that was fun. Yay! What was it? What was the set? It was The Wire season two, actually. Oh, I think it was like boo. Oh, that's oh, I'm gonna I'm crying. I think it was seven discs, and I don't remember, but there was only one disc in there, so it doesn't really matter. Is it an interactive set and you just have to stake out someone's house until you find where the other discs are? It could be. It could be like the, <laughs> the Baltimore set clue. Yeah. Could be. Uh, hi, I'm Craig Pay, English film nerd living in Wales. And if Dave doesn't want people to escape from his manacles, maybe he shouldn't grease them up so much. How? Just a suggestion how are we going to have crisco thursdays if you're not greased <laughs> you, you don't have to grease my fist and wrist because i told you i'm not doing that damn hope springs eternal craig <laughs> indeed uh that's me and what i watched okay um no you gotta, you gotta say been... who we are first oh and welcome to raiders of the podcast yeah <laughs> bit pathetic for me you, you guys were great um i'm currently doing this january is it's january but it's also i've got to finish up the films from 2022 that i haven't seen yet so i can do a top 10 like for no one in particular i'll agonize over it and i'll post it on facebook and two people will look at it and like it and it, it'll have been totally meaningless but i have to do it so um i watched this might have been in America in 2021, but it's 2022 here. I watched Sean Baker's kind of dark comedy drama, Red Rocket. And I really enjoyed that. You've, I know Tyler's seen it. Has everyone seen Red Rocket? Uh, I have not. Yet. I have. Okie dokie. Um, yeah, I just I just had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's kind of like watching a two-hour, 20-minute car crash. Like Simon Rex plays this totally amoral, parasitic ex porn star, just an awful human being. And you just spend two hours, 20 minutes watching him like desperately dig his own grave, like extra, extra deep, just so he can, you know, drag some of his nearest and dearest into him, into it with him uh, when he finally falls into it. He's just stunningly awful. Like I can't recall the last time I was so aghast watching a fictional character, the way they behaved. It, and somehow they just managed to keep up in it and up in it and up in it and it's it's really grim but it's it's really funny as well the thing about uh thing about sean baker is he doesn't 
doesn't really judge his characters. He doesn't feel the need to punish them. He's just observing them. He makes no judgments. And I think some people would see that as maybe being a bit lazy or just letting them off the hook. But personally, I like it. And uh, I really enjoyed that film. Like Simon Rex is great. He's got a huge penis, which you see several times. Uh, his co-stars are really good. Uh, Brie Elrod and Susanna's son are uh, particularly good. Uh, I love the 16mm photography. You know, as long as it suits the film, I'm a big fan of 16mm, that grainy look. I just I just kind of love it. I don't even know why. See, that's really good. It's not as deep as it might think it is, but it's just very, very entertaining, like, from beginning to end. And I particularly love the ending. It's... It's one of those ambiguous ones where you're like 90% sure which way it's going to go, but you don't know. You know, you can you can be optimistic if you feel like it. Uh, you love that, didn't you, T? I did quite a bit, actually. But I love Sean Baker. That man can do no wrong in my eyes so far. Um, I would probably rank it third. Uh, no, fourth. I would rank it fourth. I would put Starlet up first. Um, Florida Project tangerine then red rocket but i love them all okay well tangerine's the only other one i've seen and i thought that was really really good i liked tangerine more than red rocket so might have the same top four as you did you like it dave yeah i mean for the same reasons uh he makes solid dramas about unusual characters and doesn't judge them i mean in this case he could have like i wouldn't have held it against him if he did this time but yeah no my top four is different than tyler's though Starlet's not number one, is it? No. <laughs> no, and I no. I like Starlet fine. It's just, like, for all the porn star dramas we've watched, it's lesser. Yeah. I feel like Florida Project's probably the one for me. It looks like it, and, you know, you got Willem. I don't know. Willem I... elevates everything. Florida Project and Tangerine are pretty close for me. So I'm I'm not sure which one I'd put. Like if I like gun to head, I had to rank one above the other. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I, I bought that a little while ago, so I will get to it. Uh, another one that I know Tyler really dug. I watched the. Shockingly enough, it's a Bloomhouse produced thriller, and that was Soft and Quiet, which I like really loved. Have you already talked about this on here, T? I have not actually. I forgot to mention that because I was actually going to save it for a pick one day. But yeah, talk about it because that movie was fucking oh. incredible, incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it's it's a real time single take film, which is sometimes it feels like a gimmick, but in this in this one it really doesn't. It really it's really really effective. Um, it's one to approach blind, so I won't say too much about it. But it just has. It has some really effective reveals in it. I don't want to spoil. Uh, not least, sorry about that pie. You enjoy that pie, Tyler? I do. <laughs> that was that was quite a moment. Um, yes, it was. It's it's a really really well crafted film. You know, like on the technical level, you know, you figure when you do a real time single take film, it has to be. You know, the technique has to be down, and this one. It feels like it must have been an absolute nightmare to prepare. I don't know how many takes it took, but I was, it's really, really impressive that they pulled it off. Uh, the performances are very, very strong. They feel really authentic. Um, the best part, it just has it has this really horrific momentum to it. 
that made me think of like uh, Irreversible or um, Angst, 1983 Austrian masterpiece Angst. And it's it's just a fucking ride. You know, I don't know if it will live up to repeat viewings, but I don't I don't know if that's an essential component of cinema, really. You know, something that you want, but sometimes sometimes you just want a short, sharp shock and soft and quiet really, really delivers on that front. It's it's something. Uh, and one more earlier today, I watched uh, The Menu, sort of satirical eat the rich horror thriller, The Menu, which it's had a fucking riot with it is it is so much fun and like i i saw the trailer and i read a little bit about it and i was i thought i knew what it was but it was surprisingly far from the movie i expected like i had the feeling it would just be like the hunt again like blunt but like fairly entertaining and like fractionally as smart as it thinks it is but i think the menu is it is a smart movie but it's also like thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. Like it's so funny. I was, I was just cracking up every every two minutes. It's the orgy of pontification throughout the first act is so sharply written. Uh, it just cracked me up. Um, and it just it had some wonderful little twists and turns. Like when they reveal, there's a reveal with Nicholas Holt's character in the third act that is it just makes you makes you real it's just it makes your head your brain real you just it's unbelievable and yeah it's just full of these these little unexpected moments i really loved and the cast just perfect like across the board particularly holt like i would give holt best actor at the oscars this year i don't give a fuck they always give it some uh shit from some british lovey i'd give it to nicholas holt because he's absolutely fucking amazing in this film uh, and so is Hong Chow. Really loved Hong Chow. Uh, Colin Stetson did the score, and it's really, really good, like really evocative. But like most of all, the thing I loved about it so, is that it is just really like thoroughly, thoroughly satisfying. It's it's satisfying, perfectly represented by that impromptu final course in the film. That that last bit of food you see eating. The film is is that it's just immensely satisfying good stuff and it just all comes together beautifully i was buzzing at the end of it i was just i just can't remember the last time a film like completely just satisfied me on that level and it's yeah it's a riot it's definitely my top 10 for the year uh you've all seen that haven't you oh no not kevin i have not yet either oh i have oh i have and it was good. Yeah, no, it it might be my favorite of the year. Wow. Like like easily. Okay, do you know how many fucking uh, okay, I'm air quoting here, you can't see me, so I'm telling you, I'm air quoting around the word satires I've seen that are just toothless crap. Yeah. And I'm so tired of toothless satires, uh including and not limited to uh the recent one on Netflix whose name I won't say because people get really upset when I don't lick its <laughs> butthole even though it's very mid. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's it's soft. It doesn't go after the hard targets. It's not, you know, fully bears its teeth. And the menu bared its teeth. Nobody is left unscathed from employees no. to rich. You know, every, everybody gets a bite taken out. 
and yeah, that's uh, that goes a long way in my book. Absolutely. I mean, I I, di- I disagree with um something they did with the Holt character, but I don't want to, you know, you can't say because it it'll spoil it, and people haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It just went up on fucking HBO, so you should fucking watch it, like a lot. And that ending is so so satisfying. Oh, it's there's, it's there's so some, good. There's a goofy element that I just absolutely loved. I didn't care that it looked a bit goofy, and just that final shot was. Like, you know, the 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 really good final bite of a really good meal. It's so good. And uh, Anna Taylor-Joy is excellent. Uh, it's probably the best role from Fines in a long, long time. Yeah, since uh, in Bruges, I'd say. Yeah, something like that. As far as I can think, yeah. He's done a lot of phone-in shit since then, but like he really brought it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's me. That's uh, that's what I've watched this week. I watched Halloween Ends again because I just got a new Halloween Ends tattoo today. Uh, Corey forever. Halloween Ends is amazing. You're a sick um, fuck, T. I love you, but I you're know. a yeah. sick fuck. <laughs> Can I interrupt you briefly, T, to say I was so proud of you when I saw like a sketch of your new tattoo on our messenger because I thought it was a pearl tattoo. So, oh, I'm so proud of you, T. <laughs> That's a great idea for a tattoo. And you, you don't worry about letting me down because it's your body and it's your tattoo, but you, you have a bit. Yeah, I just, I just do what I want. What can I say? <laughs> um, besides that, I watched Joe Dirt 2, which was not good at all. Um, Why? Look, I, uh, I love the first Joe Dirt. Like, no joke, legit love the first Joe Dirt. I've seen that so many I've seen that movie so many fucking times I can recite it. I still laugh when the reveal of the moon rock that Joe's carrying around and it ends up being a huge pile of human shit is I just I think that's fucking hilarious. But um Joe Dirt 2 is not good. It's just bad. Uh, Kid Rock was in the first one, which I like Kid Rock. But uh, they substitute Kid Rock for Mark McGrath. And Mark McGrath is actually funny in it. He's actually probably the best thing about it. He plays the uh, the bully character Jesus. that Kid Rock played in the first one. Um, I'm not even joking when I say Mark McGrath is actually the best thing about it. He actually has charisma and he's actually funny in it. Yeah, if you watch it, you'll see what I mean. He's actually good in it. But the movie is just kind of like a rehash of just jokes of the first. And it just doesn't work. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of the first one. I've seen that movie so many damn times. And I'm... I stick up for a lot of the anim- the uh, what's his name Adam Sandler productions. I always have. Uh, there's bad ones, Jack and Jill, Zohan, but I've always liked his stuff. Joe Dirt wasn't one of my favorites growing up, and Joe Dirt Two is awful, so bad it wasn't worth the dollar that I paid for it. And uh, besides that, I started watching Tulsa King, which I finished actually. I got one episode left. That is fucking fantastic. That might be one of Taylor Sheridan's best shows. Uh, Stallone is incredible in it like I've always growing up I was always a big Schwarzenegger fan I always thought Schwarzenegger was better than Stallone but as I got older I realized that Stallone is actually a way way better actor I mean Stallone's got the acting chops he carries the show so well he's funny in it he's got charisma it's just a really good performance from him and if you guys haven't seen that show check it out I think you'll I think you'll all really dig it it's good and uh that's me 
Well, uh, like Craig, I'm also trying to catch up on films that I've missed from the past year that I think should be on my radar. But then I also wanted to see the old year out with a couple of Scott Adkins movies. So they got bumped up the list. I saw it in 2022 watching Legacy of Lies, which is really middling at best. And Avengement, which is awesome and incredibly violent and bonkers. Have yeah. you all seen Avengement? Yeah, I really I like that one. Yeah. I have. Yeah. And it's weird because when I'm sitting watching stuff with Vicky, sometimes she'll wince and be like, ooh, and other times she's the embodiment of that Nick Cage meme with the right in the eye. Um, so <laughs> she went through a roller coaster of emotions with Avengement. <laughs> she was really <laughs> loving some bits, and I bet she was like, no, 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 no. Uh, so that was fun. It's it's probably, I mean, it's one of his best. I did not expect that level of like actual harsh violence through it. Uh, the the stamp moment was yeah nasty, uh, but it was so good. He so made Thomas year- Turgoose with a jar of pickled eggs, which is literally <laughs> all, all I want from cinema. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Turgis was very funny in that as well in his role. Uh, I started the year though. I finally just sat down to watch Summer of Soul, which is awesome. Uh, the documentary by Questlove about the um, series of concerts that took place in I think it was 1969 in Harlem. I'm going to assume Dave already saw that one. Yes. And I don't know if Craig or T would have seen it. I have not. But it's it's awesome. Uh, it, it was Yeah, it was a great way to start the year because it has the, um, you know, it's, it's offering this snapshot, this context, but it's just also full of great music and performances. So I'm glad I finally got to that. Uh, I watched Grim Cutty, a film I'd heard about that was a horror film about uh, basically a, a meme that is making children either harm themselves or their parents. It was quite enjoyable. The central creature in it is a good freaky design. It goes a little bit Nightmare on Elm Street with it. Um, although they have a, an overprotective dad with the main sort of kids involved, uh, he goes from zero to a hundred in his unrelenting overprotectiveness. So that was a downside, but it was it was a solid chiller. And I watched Fresh at last, which I really enjoyed. I did not expect Fresh to be uh, as. Uh, Darkly comedic as it is. I mean, it's it's kind of a dark comedy ahead of anything else, really. Uh, I like the the leads. Uh, I forget her name. Daisy. Uh, what is it? Daisy Edgar Jones. Yeah, but I might be wrong. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, Sebastian Stam was great. I I thought it was really good. It does fall into the the trap that some sort of standard thrillers horrors would do uh, with people letting their guard down when they really shouldn't. But it was awesome. Uh, a lot of fun. And then last but not least, I watched uh, Strange World on Disney+. Plus. Well, it kind of is least because it's just... It's, it's nicely animated. It has a, a decent enough voice cast, but I can totally see why this wasn't really setting the box office on fire. I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if any of you have watched this yet, or if Dave, if you've been made to watch it yet. No, we we don't have Disney Plus anymore. All right, okay. and they did such well, a terrible job advertising it that we all totally forgot it existed. Yeah, I mean, there's I can't think of any separate element I would take out of this to use in a. And an advertising push. That's what it's like. It's not that it's, it's not that it's bad, and there's a couple of sort of cute aspects that kids will like. But overall, it's like, what would you use to sell this? Um, so, yeah, it was disappointing, but pretty. So there we go. That was me. I know how I would sell it. I would. Put Tyler in a strange. Is it Strange Worlds? Yeah. Yeah, Strange Worlds Fong, and just just have him do a little like twink dance up and down every street in the entire Western world. Damn, that's a weird song to be in a Disney movie for kids. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta sell it somehow. Get get the the local market for tea. Yeah. I uh I had some Japanuary homework with uh the friend of children everywhere. I watched the Showa era Gamera movies, including Gamera the Giant Monster, Gamera vs Barugan, Gamera vs Gaios, and uh, I only watched four of them, and there's eight. Gamera Super Monster, which I should not have watched. I always forget how much I dislike Gamera Super Monster. But I, you know, I mean, they're fun kaiju-esque films. Uh, so, you know, I got to show them to Killa. So that that was a plus. I also watched um, Sharknado 4. So, you know, we're in the home stretch with those. The child still loves them. And Trimmers 2, which uh, I like Trimmers 2 okay. Oh, the best scene is totally off camera and related to you later and it, it needs more gummer Bert gummer the greatest hero of them all yeah because... my issue with tremors 2 was always that the graboids are just one of the greatest creature designs of all time in my eyes and the variations yeah. just they don't yeah. match up no, they they don't. But I I understand why they do what they did, and I I like a lot of it. Uh, I think it's a like. Don't get me wrong. I understand why Kevin Bacon did Apollo thirteen instead of Trimmers two. <laughs> like I mean, I under my brain understands, but my heart. Like you, can, they obviously wrote 
the sidekick for Kevin Bacon. And it's uh, for Val to come back. And he doesn't. So, you know, it's it's sad because the new guy isn't nearly as good. And, like, the dynamic is is weird because it's like uh, the familiar dynamic. But, like, he doesn't know them. So they throw in these throwaway lines about how they don't know him. So it's weird. But, like, there's a lot of good things in it. There's a lot of cheap things in it. But, you know, I mean, it's it's okay. I prefer some of the later ones more. More Burt the better, as far as I'm concerned. So, but was it, there a scene It's a pretty consistent with, series, isn't it? It is. Yeah, overall. Was, was, was there a scene with Graboids blowing up in montage to country music? Or am I fucking crazy? Not in that one. What the fuck? What movie am there, I thinking There of? might be in another one. I You know, I haven't seen a few of these in a while, so... I just watched that series too. And I don't remember. I know that I remember a scene like that in movies. I don't remember. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's in from. one of them. Uh, I well, I finally got the TV series also. So we are doing the whole Trimmers experience. Nice. So Gosh. I mean, because you know the kid loves giant monsters and shit. So you know, who, who am I to deny that? <laughs> I wish the snow one was better. Trimmers and snow should have been awesome, but instead it's. Sand. I wish the last one was better. Like I've never thought I'd be so sad that Jamie Kennedy didn't show up. That was Shrieker Island, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, the Richard Brake one. But they needed Jamie Kennedy back instead of, you know, Napoleon Dynamite, and they needed to get uh, Reba McIntyre back. So the fact that they're not in it is a uh, hurts it. But whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and to finish it off, I watched the Pale Blue Eye. The new uh, mystery, again, there were air quotes around the word mystery, uh, <laughs> Netflix with Christian Bale, with uh, Edgar Allan Poe at uh, West Point. It's very meh. Like, everything the director makes, it's very meh. Like, it, it's really well shot. It's a gorgeous movie to look at. Uh, it's this, the cinematography is by, um, oh crap. I'll think of it and I will think of it. Give me a second. <laughs> the cinematography is, uh, Mansunobu Takayang, Takayangi, who is, uh, he's a, a Japanese cinematographer who also did, um, Silver Lining Playbook and The Gray. And the dude has just an amazing eye. Every film he's made, even he did a Disney Plus movie called Timmy Failure, and that still looks great for a Disney Plus movie. Like everything he does is is great. So I mean, it's a gorgeous film, and the cast is is great because uh, Scott Cooper gets like he gets so many people he can pull on because you know he's he's the protege of Robert Duvall, so everybody shows up for that. So, like, it's got Gillian Anderson and uh, Harry Melling and Charlotte Gainsborough and Toby Jones and all these solid act Timothy Spall, solid actors given nothing to fucking do. And, you know, you, Christian Bale is fine. It's just like it's two hours and ten minutes of filler. Because, like, the characters aren't allowed to be characters except for Bale and um, Henry Melling's Poe. Harry Melling's Poe. Um, and they're, they're both really good. And everybody's good with what they're given. It's just they're not, you know, they're not given 
enough. Uh, honestly, they're just kind of there. And then like the twist is so heavily telegraphed that like waiting for it ultimately, like when you finally get there, it's like, yeah, well, duh. Thank you so <laughs> much. And it, again, it's two hours and 10 minutes. And instead of like better establishing these characters and relationships with that time, it's just like, here's the snow and isn't it spooky? And here's some nonsense about witchcraft for no fucking reason, except we want you to think it's witches because fuck you. So, you know, it's just like, it, it's not half as smart as it needs to be. And that's a problem with a lot of mystery movies. Don't, I mean, again, don't get me wrong. The cast is good and it looks gorgeous. And if you want to just kill some time with something you haven't seen before, you can do worse. But man, it should it should be better. It's just meh. But I I like that that Harry Melling guy. I seen him in a couple things lately, and he's he's excellent. He was in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and um, the Tragedy of Macbeth. No, oh, and the Harry Potter movies. So like fuck you. him. So you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Wait, what was that? The Cohen's like you. You're probably, you know, worth a look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he and he does really well with what he's given, and he really makes Poe work. I, and I think a, a less. And again, uh, all of Scott Cooper's stuff is like this, where it's excellent cast with mediocre screenplays. It's another director. I mean, he's a fine director, but he needs somebody else to write for him because that's not his strong suit. But you know, whatever. Uh, we have to have a tours, I guess, and some bullshit. Anyway, this week we watched the 1953 Jedi Geki film Ugetsu, also known as Tales of Ugetsu or Ugetsu Monogatari. And what? I thought I'd watched the wrong wrong film for a second. (laughs) No, we're all good. You're good. No, you're fine. Yeah. And the 2011 action adventure Gantz, Perfect Answer. Hey, Craig. Yes. Welcome back. Now pick a movie and tell us about it. Oh, sure. Why not? I'll I'll uh, I'll start with Ugetsu, which is definitely the um, Mizuguchi one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> I was really, really worried there. Yeah, no, you're, you're good. Okay, we'll start there then. Um, just quickly, uh, to start with, I'm just going to demonstrate how much I've grown as a person since I was last on the show with you guys. Like, I noticed that the word Gooch sort of features in Kenjo Mitsuguchi's name. So I thought it might be like a gag in there. And then I figured like Mitso, that's kind of close to Miso. So maybe I'll do like a joke about Kenji Mitsuguchi's taint smelling like fermented soybean paste. But uh, I, I just scrapped that. I said, "Let's just." I'm not going to lower the tone. We're not here to discuss uh, Kenji Mitsuguchi's taint. I mean, Tyler might. Uh, no, we're I'm here impressed. to discuss. You've, you've grown. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're not here to discuss his taint. We're here to discuss uh, his 90, 1953 masterpiece Ugetsu, which I fucking adored, like top to bottom, just blown away by. It's Oh, I'm sorry, I've got so many notes. I'll I'll try and say them quickly. Um, I thought it was really, really, like, 
impressive, like top drawer example of a film really confidently traversing more than one genre while totally nailing the key elements of the different genres and making the transition between them feel completely seamless. It's like the first half to me, it felt almost like a film noir, like in terms of its themes, like in the way that it was framed, the way it was lit, that kind of portentous atmosphere. So it it got me thinking I was I was watching this kind of noirish morality tale in the vein of uh, the treasure of the Sierra, Sierra Madre, you know, like uh, a morality tale about greedy men who are rejecting reality and responsibility in favour of, you know, pipe dreams and these kind of shallow ambitions. And like, while I think those themes, they remain a constant throughout the whole film, the story transitions like extremely fucking smoothly into this pretty traditional ghost story. And the way that he does it, the way that it happens is incredible. It's just all through these very, very subtle, gradual changes in the shot composition, the editing, the sound design. They just, they change in such subtle degrees up until the point where, you know, it culminates in that that absolutely incredible scene of uh, Machiko Kayo's Lady Wasaka performing this, this musical piece, this intensely mournful musical piece which it cranks up in the same way that the the changes in the film do and it just gets gradually more feverish and otherworldly and menacing it's an incredible scene and you'd have to watch it but i think you know it's just a real fucking masterclass in in tone and atmosphere and like the shifting of tone and atmosphere i'm still kind of stunned by it um on top of that, the, the cast are superb, like, across the board. Uh, I'm going to mangle some names. Itaro Ozawa is, like, on the surface, is that typical bumbling village idiot you see in so many Japanese films of that era. And he does go a little too broad with it on occasion, I think, just for my personal taste. But he brings this kind of sorrowful soulfulness to the character that, that really grounded him and it really stuck with me. Uh, Masayuki Mori is is excellent. He's I guess he's essentially the lead. He he plays he plays his part quite subtly in a way. Like he plays the flaws and insecurities beneath the character bravado at just the right level, so that he's a shit. He's a total shit at times. Just selfish, pig-headed, but. He never feels heartless or like completely irredeemable. He just he just comes off as thoroughly misguided, like he's got an in, an internal struggle happening within him. And he's really, really good. Like I said, Azara is really good. They're both superb. But the thing is, this, the narrative focus is on the male leads. But I feel like the female cast give the most valuable and vital performances in the film. I think they are the the bones of it. Uh, Kinuo, Kinuo Tanaka, uh, she made such a strong impression on me in the opening third that it made her performance and her character like, resonate with me. Like, even when she was off screen for long periods, because she was off screen for quite a long period, but I felt her presence even when she was absent. And I felt this 
this fear for her, like right in the pit of my stomach. The longer, the longer we went without seeing her, the more stressed I got, the more concerned I got for her well-being. And that's because she made such a strong, like human impression on me in the opening third. But uh, yeah, the best, best performance is Machiko Kaya as Lady Wasaka, because like, holy shit, does she have some presence? some unbelievable screen presence like those little shifts she makes like back and forth between presenting herself with this as this calm ethereal being but then occasionally revealing herself to be this kind of wretched pitiful wailing thing like not even human just some some wretched thing and she sells that torment that she feels so strongly that it it, it chilled me when she begs uh, Genjuro to come home with her, it just, that character conjured a vision of hell in my mind, but it was so overwhelmingly sad and awful. And uh, yeah, it's just a staggeringly good performance. Uh, it's a very handsome looking film. Like I love the stark noir-like hard edges in the uh you know in the first half and the way that they kind of graduate into that eerie dreamlike kind of gothic look i love the costumes i love the sets i think the score is absolutely stunning and it just adds immeasurably to the overall tone uh i just have like zero complaints like none i know some might take issue with the tone of the climax like how unexpectedly gentle and forgiving it is but I thought it totally fit with the, the timeless themes of the story. And I think they, they elevate it. I think that ending elevates it from just being a straightforward morality tale that stands in judgment of its, its characters to something more, like a more philosoph- philosophical, profound, and kind of ultimately loving look at human nature rather than a judgment on specific people or actions and yeah, if you couldn't tell already, I was just, I was bowled over by it. It's an absolute fucking masterpiece. Uh, I assume you picked that, didn't you, Dave? Yes, I did. Thank you. Loved it. Yeah, that's, that's me. Masterpiece. Beautiful. Well, uh, unlike Craig, I have not grown at all, but I haven't made any comparing eating ass to baked goods from 7-Eleven jokes <laughs> in quite some time, though, so maybe I have grown. <laughs> Oh, no. I know. Dave's out here always pulling these classy-ass Japanuary films. I mean, this was just absolutely incredible. I'm going to echo everything fucking Craig said here. I just, I went in totally blind. No trailer. Didn't read a single plot summary. Just knew absolutely nothing going in. I did look up the date, though, and I was slightly disappointed when I saw it was made in 1954 because then I knew there couldn't be any, like, tentacle porn in it, so I was just slightly disappointed. I mean, really, though, this was fucking wonderful, haunting, just gorgeous. It's not a horror film in the textbook definition of a horror film, but it's got enough supernatural overtones to make it feel like a horror film at times, if that makes sense. Japanese fantasy, maybe. I I think it shows the horror of war better than most war movies that came after, even though, again, it's not technically a war film. It's just it's so hard to classify this in one genre. The score is fantastic. I mean, the score is so fucking haunting and so eerie. I just, I love that score. It's incredible. 
sound design is top notch. It looks stunning. That black and white cinematography is so fucking rich. One of my favorite shots of the film is that rowboat scene. I mean, the fog mm-hmm. over the water, the, the moonlight. It just it's a painting and it looks fucking gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Uh, script is great. I love how it interweaves these different stories and topics together seamlessly. Just got betrayal, greed, love. So many themes here. Cast is really good. I, just, I truly need more than one viewing to take all of this in. I mean, just one viewing just won't do this justice at all. I mean, this movie is an actual masterpiece, like Greg said. And I'm so happy Dave picked it. So, uh, yeah, Dave, expect the nude in your inbox as a thank you. Okay. It's one of those films where you're watching it and every now and then you remember that every part of it was probably filmed inside a studio and it makes you go fuck you know that's that's incredible they put this world together within like a studio yeah um any words i have are pretty much redundant now because i'm in general complete agreement I thought this was really good. I like the fact that this is a, an impactful and haunting film without without feeling as if it could uh, just be lumped alongside, I would say, the, the standard titles that people would go for when they're thinking of Japanese horror movies or films about spirits. Uh, think I mean like Onibaba, Kwaidan, that sort of stuff. This um, when it started and it felt a little bit rambling. I wasn't exactly sure of of what the point of it was, or if there was any point. If it was just going to be these different stories, I'm still not entirely sure of uh, sort of everything that is sort of buttoned down in this. I think. I think a lot of it stems from the idea of you know not you know not being one to try and selfishly profit during this time of war and unrest but then it also feels like that is just a framework for these it, it's almost an anthology and all but the there aren't any real clear dividing lines but the way the tales diverge and then weave back together it's very much like an anthology and i like that i got to like all of the characters it's just it's odd and as it plays out it becomes more and more like really quite haunting but in a way that isn't you know, sort of full of any attempt to try and jump scare you or or completely freak you out. It's just unsettling and things get slightly creepy even before you know that that stuff is off. Um I I really liked it. I liked the atmosphere throughout. I liked the way it handled moments because there's for the time uh this was made particularly there's you know some some quite strong scenes of of nastiness uh, implied but but kind of quite blatant really 
and uh, it, it handles it all really well. I can't think of um, other stuff I've watched from uh, Soybean Paste Taint. I, I don't know if we've covered any more for the podcast. I, I think it would be unfair if we do cover more of his stuff to always refer to him as soybean paste taint, but Craig has now put that phrase in my mind. Enjoying. And I can't quite veer away from it. No, I I don't know if we've done uh, any other Mizuguchi movies. Um, we watch that many that sometimes I forget, uh, but this, this is a great one. And I'd be interested in some of his other stuff. And I'm sure Dave's got to tell us all about the stories these are adapted from and ask us if we've read them. And he already knows the answer. You know the answer, Dave. I know the answer, so I wasn't going to talk about that. I was going to start saying yes. I was, yeah. well, one day. I was going to talk about, if I may. Mm. Are, are, mm. are you sure? Mm. Okay. Yeah. I was going to talk about... Um, Kin uh Kin Iyo Tanaka who plays um Miyagi in this. Uh she was in a, a bunch of uh Kinji Mizuguchi's films, but she would go on to be the second female director ever in Japan. Oh. And she would direct uh I think she directed f- um six Six or seven movies, and they're really good. Uh, one is called The Eternal Breasts, and I was half thinking about maybe picking that just to make Tyler happy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, Ugetsu's a, a classic. Uh, in the early 50s, there were three films that really popularized Japanese cinema in the West, and the, the whole reason why we are doing... Japanuary now, you know, 70 years later. Those three movies were uh, Rashomon, Tokyo Story, and now Ugetsu. So, you know, I I, don't, I think Kevin picked Tokyo Story three years ago. Maybe, um, I could be wrong. Possibly. It's, it's been a while, I know. So We have watched it, yeah, but we, I can't we, remember if I picked that or somebody else pulled that out of the bag. You were Craig. And then uh, I well, picked... I haven't seen it. So. Okay, so then it was you because it wasn't me. I was one that I was going to, but then you beat me to it. And then I picked Rashomon last year, which is uh, also a classic. But yeah, Ugetsu is it's gorgeous. Uh, there's some just amazing little touches in it. Um, do you guys? How, how did you guys watch it? Because I I watched my uh, Criterion Blue. Uh, BFI player. Okay. So I bought, I I bought the Criterion the, Blue. Nice. Oh, sorry, T. No, you're good. I just said I bought the Criterion Blue. I did not have the Criterion Blue. I watched on the, I think it was the Internet Archive. Ah, awesome. No, uh, I was just pointing out because I don't know how well you can see it on some, because, you know, it's, it's a 70-odd-year-old movie. So not everything shows up so clear on different versions. But there's a couple times where... Uh, uh, oh crap! Uh, what what's his name? Is close to the ghost, and you see his his breath. And it's it's not every time, 
Just like if he's close to her for a little while inside, she gets up and walks away. You see his breath for a couple seconds. Or uh, I think when they kiss in the field, when he, she first moves, you see his breath and there's just, there's some just incredible little touches that really speak to the attention to detail given. Uh, The sets are fantastic. Uh, The shots on the boat are just gorgeous. So much of this looks like a, a, a painting. The cast is all excellent. Yeah, it, it's a good one. There's I I also don't have much to add because it's just, it's a good one. People should go see it. Uh, it's been on the sight and sound every year since the, uh, it came out in 53, so it just missed the, the 50s one. It's been on the, the sight and sound poll every year since release. Uh, for a long time, it was in the top 10. Uh, I think in the last one, it dropped way down to, to 90, but a, a lot of Japanese movies dropped, which I think that just more speaks to, you know, cultural standards and norms. Some of these older films aren't watched as much, but then again, there's also more to appreciate. So I'm not saying it shouldn't be number 90, but it, it was, I think it was tied with Yee Yee and another uh, Asian film. I just thought it was interesting and I would have put all three further up, but that's just me. Not saying it's in the wrong place, just my personal take. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, the women are abused. It it takes on toxic masculinity in a time long before anybody in the West was talking yeah. about it. It takes on um the 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 rush to join into, you know, the the hype of war. I mean, it takes on a lot of shit that like <laughs> Western audiences were not ready to deal with, and we still aren't ready to deal with. In a lot of ways. Is it perfect now? Looking back? No. I mean, it, it is a movie from 1953, but it's pretty damn good. And it does what it does incredibly well. It's it's still a classic. It's still one worth watching at any time. And it's easily available. It's on a ton of streaming sites. So do yourself a favor. Give it a watch. All right. Uh, the other film we watched this week was Gantz. Perfect answer uh, from 2011, the sequel to, you know, Gantz, the live action adaptation of the um, well-known manga and anime. This is actually the third. There's there's a middle one called Another Gantz, which was like, I think it was like part new, part re-edit of uh, the first movie following um, this movie has a new semi-main character who's a reporter, and another Gantz follows him. You don't need to watch it to appreciate the other two, but I'm just including it for um, completionist's sake. Uh, 2011, directed by Shinsuke Sato. It deals with uh, the giant ball Gantz that pulls recently deceased people into a war against aliens. Um, the first Gantz we watched last year and it is excellent. And I, I am a fan of Gantz. I, I, the anime and the manga are okay. Like the idea is awesome, but they've kind of got some content issues. If I'm being very, you know, gentle with how I describe the problem. I think Gantz is one of those ones where each version is better and better and better. And I loved, I loved the first movie. The first live action movie is 
one of my favorite versions of Gantz. It's snappy. It's it's to the point. The cast is solid. Gantz, a perfect answer, is not as good as the first one. It's not bad. Uh, the action scenes are excellent. The fight on the subway is fantastic. But the problem is they kind of cut things up a little bit more in this one, and it kind of ruins the flow. Like, um, on the subway, there's three or four different groups of characters that we keep cutting between, which is fine, but it's kind of like without rhyme or reason. And it doesn't, it doesn't flow as well as it should. Um, there's the next set piece is, is on the city streets. And again, they're taken as they are. That's really cool, but they, they don't really mesh together like they should. Um, but generally the action scenes are, are still solid where this movie kind of falls apart is the story and the pacing. Cause it's, I have no fucking clue. Like I know Gantz. I've, I've seen most versions. I've, I've read it. And like, I, I don't know what the, f- who are these aliens? It doesn't matter. Why are they after? Like they keep telling us they didn't start it. We did, but like, we never learned why it's just, like there's no answers in this movie. And then for me, uh, you know, others might disagree, but for me, the last act was just kind of, it's kind of interminable. It just doesn't end. It just keeps going and going and going. And after a while, just seeing the same things play out again and again and again and again, because, you know, we see a character get gunned down and then they go to another place and they get gunned down and they go to another place and then they get gunned down. And it's just like, okay, it's, I mean, I, I guess it's what it's going for, but instead of being like riveting, I was just like, just fucking end. Thank you. And then the ending doesn't like, it doesn't make sense. What makes that the perfect answer? Except they needed to end it. I, I kind of wish that they just, you know, committed to three movies and did the the storyline the way it works out in the comic. It just, you know, ad- adapted to their way with their takes on the characters, which are the better takes. It's just, you know, it's okay. But I'm, I'm never going to watch this one again. I'll probably watch the first one again. And uh, the anime Gantz O is a lot of fun. Like, I'll watch those again, but this one, no, this was was just a little too dull and a little too self-indulgent. And again, if you're going to give me a perfect answer, I would like a perfect fucking answer and not, shit, we're out of time. What the fuck do we do? That's just me. I'll go. Uh, Yeah, uh, like the trepidation I felt with this one, like when I press play on this one. I haven't seen the first. I was not present on the show when that was picked, so I had no idea. And like, I was certain I was about to find myself back in that, you know, that Persona Four Chapter Six Part <laughs> Seven Ultra Plus Redux Two I'll fucking territory, where <laughs> just totally fucking lost at sea. And I looked at IMDb and I scanned some reviews, and the most popular word in those reviews was confusing. So I just thought, the fuck, this is this is going to be hard work. And 
it started out that way. It started out as hard fucking work. Like you get that little previously on kind of catch up, which, you know, gives you the bare bones of what Gantz is and the broader storyline. But you're still missing a bunch of context. And none of this is the film's fault. It's my fault. But, you know, it's just it's hard to pick up at the start. It's oh look, a sullen man in a raincoat is investigating another sullen man in a raincoat who is investigating the events of a film that I have not seen. You know, it's, you can't just pick it up right away. And sometimes it's less, it's less about what you don't know. It's that you don't know what you don't know, if that makes sense. Am I in the dark here because I skipped the first? Or are these totally new characters and their motivations are unknown? And people who have seen the first don't know any more than I do. And like I said, it's not the film's fault. But I, at that point, I did not have the context I needed to be engaged, and especially not like engaged with it all emotionally. And but then, like after a significant stretch of time, where I was like, "Uh, what? Who?" You get that big subway battle that kicks off, and it takes a real turn because it's it's a really fucking strong extended action sequence, and I think I think. extended action sequences are really hard to pull off like they can't just be like carnage 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 you know that's what kind of sunk john wick free for me they they have to do more than that i think they have to further the story somehow and they have to hit you know a few emotional beats along the way and i think that's something gantz incorporates really well like even without the you know the context that i thought i needed the the, the fight scenes felt genuinely dangerous and desperate and it gave them weight and i think that connected me to the characters way more than anything in the previous hour so you know i was that gave me a bit of a boost and i was like optimistic well i don't know about optimistic like i i felt like maybe it's going to be like the matrix reloaded like melodramatic po-faced emotionally stunted slog but with some occasional doses of incredible action but then it gets into the whole points system and that's what tipped me over the edge and to into like digging against to quite a lot because it's such a strong concept such an interesting concept like it gives the story and the characters weight by throwing them into these kind of moral dilemmas and it presents some interesting themes i think about the nature of of war how how guilt uh, a sense of duty etc all these things are kind of weaponized to push young people into just killing strangers about question. And it just became a much more interesting and rich thing from that point onwards. And another thing that really helped was uh, an actor called Tomorrow Taguchi. He played a character called Suzuki. And he's like the, he brought like humanity to the core of this film for me. Like this man who was completely terrified and just hanging on by the skin of his teeth, but still, you know, using his points to bring somebody else back instead of making himself safe. He brought the humanity to the surface of the film, and it just kind of creeped up on me emotionally, and I dug it. I dug it quite a lot from there on out. Like, I had a blast with the third act. Like, I think the action was really well-crafted. I think it had emotional weight to it, with the emphasis on emo, because it is really quite an emo film. Uh, it threw in some more interesting shades of grey, like moral dilemmas, because, you know, the way that the group is split in the third act, 
that that's a great shade of grey because you know you can you can see it from several different points of view and so much is at stake it's uh i found it really satisfying i just think it's a really solid movie it looks really good like live action anime adaptions sometimes look like absolute shit just absolutely drenched in the worst cgi but this was this was slick it was well produced editing was really effective it really didn't have a lot of extraneous cgi but what they did use it was really strong i mean i love that teleportation effect i, I imagine it's quite an easy effect to pull off but it just looked great and you know when the effects weren't up to scratch you know they at least knew how to um how to compose them how to light them and you know get the best out of them uh i love the the production design for the props were great the costumes are great those kind of you know bdsm power rangers suits uh, uh they look really good uh there's nothing too outrageous or too disconnected from reality that it takes you out of the film it just it it all has a little weight to it and i don't know i like considering how much i dreaded this you know thinking i'd be completely lost i, I have minimal complaints my only real complaint is the score which is it's very weak in places it has that kind of we have angeli badaman badamamenti at home vibe that you know neil breen's scores often have there's not a lot of there's a fucking wafer thin gap between this score and the neil breen score but you know otherwise i i had fun against you unexpectedly i had a lot of fun so just no spanking for tyler or extra spankings for tyler it's up to tyler because i would take the extra spanking sir i i knew that you would i'll uh warm my hands up i'm waiting yeah that's me i don't know what film you two watched this was shite and that's it that's me no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I didn't like it, though. I didn't like Gantz's perfect answer at all. I'm sorry, T. You know, I really liked Gantz. Um, and, you know, this gives you the recap at the start, and then it gets out of things. If anything, the recap at the start was reminding me of what I liked about Gantz before then going on to to sort of forget about that i didn't even like the subway fight sequence like it was okay it was better than rest but i didn't find it that enjoyable or impressive um well you've seen much more intense violence on scottish trains so it must be well yeah disappointing in comparison yeah that's that's just a normal by 15 from Glasgow to Edinburgh on a Saturday that is <laughs> um, I, I didn't care about any of the, the characters Like I, I cared more about the characters in the first film that we watched when they were just dragged in a situation and as Craig has said about the points and I get that that can sort of be an interesting thing and and take them in different directions for me, it it just it, it almost sort of flatlined the film for me because I thought, right, this is now 
all about the points and people wanting, you know, different potential end results, whether it is to bring someone back or to free themselves. That's it. That's that's all there is. Whereas in Gantz, if I remember when we were watching that, it was fun. They were thrown at a deep end, no dead a clue. And then it sort of became the it only really came to the crunch point at the end with the choice. I may be misremembering. It may have come up before the end and been a, a sort of planned thing. But I remember it being less of a concern because Gantz was more a case of, you know, people figuring out what the hell was going on. And then it it just had, it just had a more fun through it and better design for the characters better connections between the characters because they were all there together just everything I liked about Gantz I couldn't find in this film and when it did get to the end I didn't think it was worthwhile I, if it had been something really good to end I might have thought right fair enough that's, that's what they're aiming for that was the reason for this story. But for me, that that didn't happen. It just yeah, it, it just like sat there completely flat. Um which is a shame for for how much I do uh, or did like Gantz. I I can't remember like I can't remember the last time I was so actually G'd up for a tea pick and then disappointed. And this is the same director as Gantz. I did Bleach and I think he's done some of that Alice in Borderland as well, which I keep meaning to check out. Oh, that's Ashen a good one. Yeah, I keep hearing good things. I mean to make time for it. Just, I think, I think this was, I think it was in the material here. I think it was, I, I've never read the manga, so you know sometimes these things can work better in that form. But no, this this is not this... this is not the manga anime ending. All right, right. not not even close. I, I think the big problem is with with the writing because you have you know you got the same director, you've got the I mean it was the the same people back for the main roles, wasn't it? Uh, well the the. Yeah, most of them. I I believe so. Yeah, um, you know, and and the ones who were in the first film are people that I got to to sort of like and enjoyed seeing them. So there's, yeah, the the difference, the big flaw, I would say, seems to be with the writing. Whatever direction they wanted to take it to for an ending that that just didn't work. I don't know if there are many other people that watch us and think. That is the ending that they're happy with, but just didn't work for me. So, because I was disappointed with the rest, none of it ever stepped up to the mark. Sorry, T. I was really optimistic about this one. It's like, yes, more Gantz. It does go very hard on the whole. Sorry? No, sorry. No, carry on. I was just going to say, I also, I can't remember if I did it as homework when we watched Gantz or not, but I enjoyed Gantz Zero. So, you know, that's that was two for two, but now it's two out of three. 
Yeah, that the Netflix one's a lot of fun. Um, I really loved the first Gantz. That movie totally blew me away when we watched it last year. I haven't seen the Netflix one yet, but I will be watching that soon. Um, at the same time, though, I and I told Dave this this morning. I loved the first one, and I didn't feel the need to go back and rewatch it. It's weird, but uh, Perfect Answer I liked it not nearly as much as the first, but I did enjoy it overall. <laughs> It feels similar to the first in ways, yet it does have like a totally different feel and vibe in exchange for the monsters from the original. Um, we get these like Matrix villains in suits, rocking swords, which which I dug. I actually really like the villains in this. Uh, that fucking subway scene is amazing, though. Like Raid 2 levels amazing. Uh, technically, it's the best scene of the film, in my opinion. It's definitely way too damn long, though. Um, that's not what she said. Um, this this story <laughs> definitely doesn't need to be two hours and 20 minutes. But at the same time, I didn't really feel that running time at all. I was thoroughly engaged throughout. And as long as I'm engaged to what's happening on screen, it can be four hours and I'm, it's fine. It is episodically plotted, which is going to turn some people off. I totally get that. But it didn't bother me. I have no problem with nonsensical story structure from time to time. The first was pretty nonsensical in a way, too. Not technically nonsensical, but it was pretty confusing. This one was a little bit more confusing, though. Uh, I like the cast. The action is great. The CGI is really solid for the most part. That's some actually really solid CGI. Uh, I just, I love this world. Uh, The Perfect Answer is not a perfect movie, but I enjoyed it. It's... It's far. It's a far cry from the original Gantz, though, and I could, I can freely admit that. I, like I said, I love the first Gantz. Uh, I haven't gone back and rewatched it since we watched it last year, January, but I probably would never rewatch this one. But I did enjoy it while it was on. So yeah, not bad. It really, um, it really leans into this weird competitive martyrdom thing, where I don't know if you said that. Uh, the Avengers film where uh, Jeremy Renner and Scarlett Johansson like actually have a fight over who's going to martyr themselves. Yeah, I hated uh, that. Yeah, I hated the, that. The answer is always Jeremy Renner, and then they made it all about <laughs> w- oh, a woman that can't have babies is useless, and I oh, I hated that. Like, <laughs> I'm never going to watch that? another Marvel movie after that scene. I was like, no, fuck you, Marvel. Which Avengers yeah. movie was that? Was it the that first? Was, I, no, it was uh, the. Just any gang. Oh, okay. I, I haven't seen anything but the first, so I don't know. Yeah, I had that vibe at times, or like it felt like, you know, uh, Mel Gibson in South Park, where he's begging people to torture a martyr him. It, yes. It, it yes. had that vibe as well. It was just like sacrifices everything. And it was a little kind of. Yeah, it was a bit much. Yeah, well, like I said, I like Gantz. It's just, I think my problem is they like, and I didn't dislike this one. Like, I I liked bits of it. I just didn't, overall, it was lesser. It's just, yeah, I wish they just stuck to the original storyline. Been like, hey, we'll make three movies, or just, you know, skip the middle. Okay, so the... The comic and, and manga have like three main plot arcs. Just skip the middle one and do the last one. But instead, it's like here's all this new shit that we don't. They don't explain anything. 
I think that's ultimately my problem. Like we went from these awesome giant monster aliens to men in black who keep saying, you know, we didn't start this. Well, then who the fuck started it? What the fuck is going on? Tell me what's going on. I want to know. That's just, that's just yeah, me. I wish we knew more, but I did like that angle because, you know, that's just that's just very much war, isn't it? Both sides feel they're in the right and they've both been, you know, forced into this this conflict. Yeah, I mean, I, like I get I get that. I just I just kind of wish that like a bit more had been explained because we know our guys literally have no choice. No, so. Like, like, what the hell did we do to start this war with nearly unkillable aliens, which previously were shape-shifting and crazy? Mm. I mean, like, like I, I just, I don't think I should walk away from the last movie with more questions than I had walking in. Like, you know, I should, I should understand why things happened the way they did. Anyway. It's time to pick one. My question to you guys, you get your 100 points. Do you say goodbye before you rescue yourself or do you just like do it real quickly? I like just. Oh, fuck you. I don't know. Um, or do you pretend to agonize over it? At least, you know. Pretend you've given it some thought. I pretend to agonize over it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have to. <laughs> I mean, because like. You know, like if all my boys are still alive and my, you know, that my boys is a non-gendered term in this way. Yeah. Uh, and I've got my hundred points and they've probably got enough to get through and soon. I'm yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> like I'm going to be like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, guys, I can't. Uh, 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 nope. <laughs> gone. I mean, I'm already checking. I've still got everything in my pockets and that by the time I'm at 99 points. <laughs> people know people know I'm eyeing up the exit and I'm just making sure I don't need to come back for anything. It'd be better if, uh, you know, when you choose, it had, it was like a big touch screen with all the different people on it and you could be like, oh, slipped. Tap your own face. Whoops. Definite accident. Don't judge me. I, you know what I think my, and okay, this might be a little spoilery. I think my big problem with Perfect Answer is when they pit the two groups against each other, I just don't fucking care. Like, that should be like a, a, a big, like a, 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 you know, a moment where I'm torn. But instead it's like, I don't, like everybody I know is on side one and these other people, I don't fucking care. So it's like like the lead is very much like look you all have to die so that nothing happens to this girl I like and I can totally understand them being like fuck you I'm murdering her oh yeah to but those like nobody on that side was a character from the previous movie or anything okay so like we only one of them was in the previous movie and he dies really early and he's a bitch anyway so like at no point like okay but i'm not rooting for them because i don't know them and the people i do know are working against them so why would i yeah you know i, I just it's one of the many issues with it where like if instead of doing they should have just stuck to the source anyway well, you guys can help me out here like 
you could tell me whether some people are new characters or old characters I knew nothing about. Uh, the policeman. Uh, new. Okay. Uh, the lady who had the small black ball who was murdering people new. on the subway. Okay. Those are the two I didn't didn't know whether. Yep. The the guy with the okay. wild hair was new. The other guy on their side, the not the guy with the glasses, but the other middle aged guy was new. I mean, and that's the problem. Half of those characters were were new, and we knew nothing about them. So that's what I meant when I said it's sometimes it's about not knowing what you don't know. Yeah, well, you in, know, in I, your case, that helped you because, yeah, like for me, I'm watching it going because it's like an hour, and I'm like, well, why? I don't fucking care. <laughs> What happens to the guy? Like, ah. So anyway, it's it's time to pick one. And for me, it's Ugetsu. Sorry, T. I, I didn't dislike, I didn't hate Gantz like Kevin did. But it, it is, it's probably the worst thing in the franchise, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah, Ugetsu, just to contribute to Dave's inevitable sweep. It's a masterpiece. Uh, yep. You get to sweep. Yep, you get to. Nice. It's so hard to get Tyler to say anything than his own picks. I, <laughs> I really like. There's a moment. Uh, but on to next week. Craig is back, so Craig gets a pick, and Kevin Yay. gets a pick, and I'm sure one of them is going to deliberately try to hurt us. Uh uh-uh. uh No, I uh. Whenever we do this, or you know, it's been years since I've done this. But, you know, when we did this, I I always like to pick a Katano film because because I I just love Katano, and I thought I'd try and pick one, try and pick one I haven't seen before. But then I just got the just got the bug to watch Sonatine again because it's just fucking magnificent. So I'm going with that. I'm going with uh, Katano's Sonatine. Okay, and uh, I am going with the 1966 film Red Angel, which I've picked because it's yet another one I've had on my shelf for too long without having actually watched it. Classy. Here we have our moments. We're on the gram. Going to start using those hip young people lingo to sell the podcast from here on out. Uh, oh man, when we started this, you were a young person. <laughs> Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore pod. We're on the Facebook where I sometimes remember to post some busting ass shit on Wednesday. Uh, and we're on YouTube where you can like, subscribe, and comment and watch Kevin's totally awesome videos weekly. Not naked, unfortunately. And uh, that's where we I are. Mean, Check it out. You can watch him naked. Yeah, Kevin. That's, a, that's naked up to videos. you. We're, we're not five pounds. That's yeah. on the Scottish porn website I'm part of called Only Clans. It's not <laughs> on YouTube. They don't allow it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Yes, see you next week.
Sunshine